Calling all birders. Join us from May 18th to the 21st, 2023 for the Great Salt Lake Bird Festival. Don't miss the premier event for both amateur and seasoned bird watchers. Enjoy workshops, keynote presentations, and over 200 species of birds. Start planning your trip by visiting greatsaltlakebirdfest.com. That's greatsaltlakebirdfest.com. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I'm Nate Swick. Before we get too far into the show today, I wanted to touch back on a question I asked last week about which ABA metropolitan area, that is city in the U.S. or Canada, has the greatest gull diversity. I wasn't sure whether I'd get any responses to this question because one, it's gulls, and two, it's counting gulls. But Chris Ortega of Pittsburgh, California, came to the rescue, and unsurprisingly, he points to his neck of the woods. He writes that he was immediately triggered by the East Coast bias fair, and he posits that it is the Bay Area, which by his count, has recorded 24 gull species, including some winners like Swallowtailed and Kelp Gull, plus most of the regularly occurring ABA gull species, that is the metro area with the largest list. Interestingly, the Bay Area even lost a gull back in the Iceland Thayer's gull lump, still manages to be up on top. Here is the question that I am considering, though, is the Bay Area, by which Chris includes the five coastal counties from Marin to Santa Cruz, a metropolitan area. And I suppose it's my fault for being kind of vague on what constitutes a metro area. I'm thinking of New York, which I guess is five counties, though might not include the end of Long Island. Cleveland is is one county. Chicago is probably two. Toronto could be many counties. I'm not exactly sure how counties work. In Canada, they're very, very small, according to eBird which I think we can all agree is the standard we're using here. Anyway, by those standards, the quote-unquote San Francisco Bay Area is probably a metro area, at least for the purposes of gull counting. And it fits my sort of imperfect gut, gull gut impulse was that the the number would be somewhere in the 22 to 24 range. So that, that checks out at least. Anyway, the gauntlet has been thrown. Is there anyone out there that can beat 24? Is there anyone... Who even wants to? On the show this week, I welcome Ted Floyd back to do some random birding with a bird list and a number generator. We end up with a very whole Arctic list, funnily enough. All that after this week's Rare Birds. This is your Rare Bird Focus for the middle of January 2023. No first records this week, but a few fun birds to report nonetheless. British Columbia's third record of field fair was seen in the Okanagan Valley, noteworthy for being well inland. Field fair is a highly migratory Eurasian thrush, looking quite a bit like those young spotted American robins you see in the late spring. It is a rare but somewhat regular vagrant to the North American continent with records from the west, like this one, and from the east, as far south as Montana in the former and Delaware for the latter. A common snipe was found at Portugal Cove on the Avalon Peninsula in Newfoundland this week, almost certainly a species that turns up more regularly than is recorded, but due to the difficulty of distinguishing the species from our North American Wilson snipe is very infrequently found, unless taken by a hunter, which makes the spirit all the more notable because it wasn't. 
We talked a fair bit last year about the red-legged honeycreeper invasion around the Gulf of Mexico, but there are honeycreepers still being seen as one was this past week in Miami, Florida. Hard to say whether this is a new arrival or a bird that has lingered since that movement last fall. Either one seems equally likely. Those are the recent highlights, but for the full list, check out the ABA Rare Bird Alert on Fridays at aba.org slash rba. You can also follow along with all the Rare Bird news in our ABA Rare Bird Alert group on Facebook and on ABA Community. It has been about six months since Birding Magazine editor and all-around bird knower Ted Floyd joined me for a little bout of remembering some birds, as we do from time to time, but you know, not as frequently as perhaps we have in the past. Um, Ted joins me to pull out the list of common species between North Carolina and Colorado and the old random number generator, and we try and see what what birds fate has deigned us to talk about. Ted, welcome back. It's good to talk to you again. Thanks, Nate, for having me, and hello, everybody. How has uh, how has birding been for you in Colorado? It's been a while since we've talked about about such mundane things as, as bird watching. Well, you know, it's funny. I think we talked about a month ago, not even about um, the Southern mm-hmm. Ocean, and then yeah, a few absolutely. months ago before that about Colombia. So yeah. uh, yeah. we're back in the uh, back in the ABA area, area now, where I've been for a while. I was actually uh, out in your neck of the woods, at least mm-hmm. time zone wise, over the uh, the period right after Christmas. Um, my family and I were caught up in the Great Southwest Airlines holiday debacle, debacle. and meltdown yeah. of 2022. Um, it actually <laughs> and actually went all the way to 2023 for us. We yeah. were quite yeah. delayed getting back to Colorado, but um, it was all good. We actually got to get in a fair bit of birding and natural history. And um, although I got to see my in-laws later in the holiday period than I was expecting to I actually on spending more days with them than um, yeah. I had uh, uh, been um, thinking I would. So thank you, Southwest Airlines, I guess, for an extended <laughs> uh, extended vacation. Maybe the only person in the world that is thanking Southwest Airlines. Yeah, I, um, <laughs> I ran into um, a birder friend of mine in um, uh, Nassau County, New York, who uh, uh, as we parted company with one another, he just said, well, enjoy your forced vacation. And I thought, I guess it is sort of a forced <laughs> vacation. So. Well, even a forced vacation is a vacation. There you go. <laughs> Anyhow, but back in Colorado and uh, ready for the random number generator, I guess. Yes. Let, let's give the random number generator a uh, a hit, a spin, um, a spin <laughs> as, if you were. Um, for people who may not be familiar with the random birds, uh, random birds process, what I've done is created a list of birds about 390, just shy of 390 species that are shared between the North Carolina checklist where I live and the Colorado checklist where Ted lives. Um, it's a good variety of birds from both East and West. Um, it may surprise no one who birds in these two places or no one who is, who has birded both of these places in their life that there's a, there's a great variety of birds between them. Uh, despite the fact that both Colorado is just over 500 species on their state checklist, and North Carolina is just shy of it. We're, we're bearing down on it mm. any moment now. Almost, four, almost 400 species to talk about, and uh, let's see what the, the random number gives to us. All right. Uh, 155. Do you want to venture a guess as to where that will be on oh, the list? Oh, 155. Then? That'll be late in the... Uh... Before the passerine section, I'll venture a guess that's woodpeckers or somewhere. Uh, it's a, a little, I mean, you know, depending, I, I can't remember which taxonomy I used when oh, I, I created this <laughs> list. It might be at least two years old. I know it's changed quite a bit. So maybe this isn't a great question to ask. But anyway, 155 on this list that I have is common loon. Great oh, northern wow. diver but to our friends on the other side of the, okay. of the Atlantic Ocean. Gotcha. 
well, the common loon, uh, the, yeah. yes, the, the the great northern diver is, uh, I think of it as more of a, really a North Carolina bird than a, um, a Colorado bird. I mean, we I know you guys get impressive uh, in flights and yeah, yeah. The, the, the sea the, um, seabird flights, and then of course the, the, the wintering populations as well. But uh, we get common loons surprisingly uh, year round in in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, most frequently seen. Uh, in migra- fall migration, um, when they're you know you can often find one or two, or exceptionally three or four on big lakes, you know, big reservoirs in the mountains, and also on the plains. Um, and then very small numbers in winter when um, where there's open water, especially in sort of like the Rub Pueblo, mm-hmm. that's a good place. And then um, they do summer here every once in a while. A summering mm-hmm. common loon shows up, and the question of maybe sort of a, a stealth breeder is very yeah. much on our minds here. Um, of course, one cool thing about the common loon is if they are breeding, you tend to hear them. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, 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 interestingly, many people are familiar with this sound because it is uh, incorrectly used in various uh, mm-hmm. Hollywood movies and television yeah, sure. shows as a background noise. Yeah. Uh, no, not not just in places where you would expect common loons, and in, in all sorts of places. Rainforest is a very yeah. is a favorite place. For yeah, that's yeah, and, you know, the, the loons make two. I worked on common loon here. Two, mm-hmm. two calls. The um, from what I gather, the, the name loon refers to that sort of short cackle the mm-hmm. that you can hear from birds actually migrating over. Um, the uh, on Golden Pond sound is that incredible wailing. Yeah. And I saw a paper recently, it was sort of more like in the acoustics literature than the, um, the birding literature about the loudness of mm. that vocalization. And it's like, it's one of the loudest sounds in nature like you know it's up really? there with you know, the bellowing of an elephant seal or the singing yeah. of a whale or the uh, you know just something uh, actually the chirping of some bats is incredibly loud but um though it's audible um like at greater distances than sandhill crane or something hmm. like that i would so. believe that it's a very keening sound yeah. um it's just very sharp to the yeah. ear and uh it's certainly so evocative of you know those northern uh, you know, I hear the sound of a of a of a North, of a common loon, and I immediately am transported to like a a still pond uh, that's surrounded by fir trees. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe there's some mountains in the distance. They might be snow capped. They might be kind of uh, northern Appalachian sort of mountains. But there, there's always some some topography, and uh, yeah, there's a loon sitting there in the middle of it, middle of it all. It's funny. I was, I was with you on all of that until you got to the, the, the snow-capped mountains. I guess for me, the, the, for me the, the perfect loon is sort of more like, uh, like I don't know, like East Central Canada. Like yeah. you, know, you, you know, just you know. I mean, I, again, furs and you know, quiet mm-hmm. ponds and but by mosquitoes and and so forth. Mm-hmm. That's not to say they don't breed within um, um, you know easy view of a mountain. I, I get that. It's just funny how like we have different like perfect loon. Um, <laughs> I guess you know experiences and yeah. For for, for me, it's sort of like boggy northern deeply wooded lowlands yeah well if i were going to be you know completely north carolina centric about it my the iconic loon habitat is flying over the ocean as i scope from like the outer banks that's a funny thing (laughs) i think i actually mentioned that in a, a field guide not too long ago that you know the way we experience the common loon, most of mm-hmm. us as birders, is like totally different from yeah. the like the very iconic yeah, the picture, the the postcard picture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just so to me, you know, being in Colorado, I'm except for the occasional loon and you know that, that spectacular breeding plumage. Yeah, it's like this big dumpy gray yeah, and exactly. black thing, like snoozing on a lake. And you know, we're trying. We, since we have several species in Colorado, you know, yeah, with Pacific, you know, the the, the main contender. You know, what, what species is mm-hmm, it? Mm-hmm. It's often just yeah. It's like 
it's anything but <laughs> yeah. you know on golden pond or or, yeah. or you know the the, the the fabled north woods it's you know a big goose shaped goose like gray lump on the water that's exactly like, right yeah. yeah kind of long and low yeah. yeah um it's it's funny because i have only ever seen a i don't think i've ever seen a loon in like full immaculate breeding plumage i've done most of my birding in the south i've never done a lot of summer birding up in the the north country where loons breed um so i almost always see them as that gray and white bird out there and right. but there was one one time i did see them in um something approaching almost almost uh what a definitive plumage or alternate plumage is yeah, the yeah, summer yeah, plumage definitive alternate but yeah and it was in it was in late march uh near wrightsville beach um, now near Wilmington in Southeast North Carolina. And, um, they were, there were some loons, they were staging clearly headed, getting ready to head North. They don't usually last much longer than, than March down here. Um, but they were almost, almost completely in, um, in breeding plumage. They still had some white speckling all around the, uh, all around the face and then the head, but, uh, the back was that kind of nice black and white checkerboard pattern. Um, and I was, I was very excited to see them like that. Cause I very infrequently see them. Cool. Um, in the way that people see them on postcards or whatever. And, and just a bit of a good natured uh, back at you at a, uh, mm -hmm. an ABA colleague. I will point out to you that we did see several of them in that plumage when we were with Jared Clark. Um, did we? Maybe yeah, I wasn't paying attention. I was busy looking at the gannets and the puffins. That, that, that could well be too. Yeah. But no, um, yeah, that was sort of one of my most, I guess I call Oh my goodness. I didn't even, it didn't yeah. even make an impression That's on me. Funny. How embarrassing. Well, there was a lot of other yeah. stuff that was making an impression on us. Hey, I also wanted to, um, this is just a, a shout out to my friends in the, uh, the the Great Basin. It's one of these little um, tidbits that I think so few people outside the Great Basin would ever know. And this is the um, remarkable migration of loons, like in Western Nevada. Mm -hmm. uh, and unfortunately, with the well, now they have a lot of water. But until they had a lot of water with the recent <laughs> atmospheric storms, um, with the declining lake levels, loon numbers were declining. But um, high three digits and low four digits of common loons on places like Pyramid Lake, wow. in Washoe County. Yeah, and then. Um, um, can't believe I'm drawing a blank on it. It's near, near Hawthorne, Nevada. Whatever lake is near Hawthorne, Nevada, in Mineral County. I, I can't believe I'm forgetting its name. But the big, the big lake near near uh, Hawthorne um, has um, hundreds of loons on it. And, I can't uh, imagine. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't imagine it either when like I got that out guy, there. Sort of concentration. Like I've seen loons in ones and twos on lakes um, around here. And of course, you can see triple digits fly by. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, on the coast, that, but they're not staying. They're not yeah. stopping. And I should point out that these stopping. are big lakes too. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. the, you know, um, Pyramid Lake and that lake near Hawthorne, whose name I'm forgetting, <laughs> um, are, are quite large. I mean, they yeah. are square miles. So yeah. yeah so uh, I, have a, I have a theory about loons and the lakes that they choose to winter on. Certainly mm -hmm. in the southeast, where we don't have our lakes are not huge. We have some pretty good side, sized ones down in, in Georgia and, and South Carolina, but um, most mostly they're not like just massive lakes. You can see the other you can see the other side well and all that stuff. But um, uh, the lakes are the water tends to be kind of shallow, at least as far as lakes go, and uh, we don't see very many loons on them except in the places by the dam where the water is the deepest. Because I have a theory that they are being outcompeted by double crested cormorants oh, yeah. uh, for the whatever fish that they're going after, shad or whatever they're they're fishing for that there's so many double crested cormorants on many of these lakes and and more that's a that's a bird whose population is growing and uh they the loons just can't compete yeah that's sort of a novel challenge for loons because yeah. cormorants just in the you know 40 plus years i've been birding have gone from kind of like they were good birds for us in the mm -hmm. you know, in, in you know west of the appalachians um and, and now they're you know increasingly common I, hey i should point out just um 
when it comes to like facts and data and evidence from this is from Nevada again. Mm-hmm. That, um, so it turns out that mercury and selenium are important determinants of um, the concentration of mercury and selenium in mm-hmm. water of, of, of loons being present. Mm-hmm. And with the water levels dropping, but the unfortunately the mercury and selenium yeah, staying the, the, well, the, yeah. yeah, the total volume is there, so the, the density is increasing, um, and that has to do with needless to say with you know um, bioaccumulating the toxins in the fish they eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. Huh. Um, one last question about yep. loons before we move on. Do you prefer common loon or do you prefer great northern diver yeah. as a common name for this species? So as a common name, that's funny. Gavia yeah, Immer. I, so I do like the name loon. Um, mm-hmm. I have a problem with the word common and I think we've talked about this before. <laughs> it has to do with the fact that it's meaning has changed since birds yeah. were given you know, common, oh, like right. they used to be like the reference Standard. bird yeah. exactly and now it yeah. doesn't necessarily when a lot of us sort of understandably think of the word common is referring to like frequency of detection or something mm-hmm. that's not necessarily what the word common meant um I, there's to me there's something just so if you used the word evocative earlier but evocative about the name great northern yeah. diver it's, great, it's a great name great yeah. northern divers so, yeah. and, and they do indeed dive um yeah. and they're northern in distribution and they're great throughout, birds, throughout, so. throughout the world they're whole yeah. arctic yeah yeah so, so I'll, I'll go with great northern diver on that one um my problem with loon is that it's a misunderstood sorry my problem with common is that it's a mm-hmm. misunderstood word i kind of like the word loon but yeah, yeah. Great, great uh, would you diver. would you would you go for a great northern loon would that work for you <laughs> See, um, Compromise position? No, because there's something else here. I um, I don't want to sound too serious about what I'm about to say, but I'll, <laughs> but I'll say anyhow. Yeah, I've actually sort of um, taken sort of a a dark look at disparaging names for birds mm-hmm. of late. Um, loon has a, I think, a negative connotation for a lot yeah. of people. And 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 when yeah, I mean, and by the way, this is like not my hill to die on. Like, please understand, <laughs> I have bigger fish to fry in this world. For but sure. um, with with any animal or or person or 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 anything, I just you know names that are sort of you know belittling or disparaging. I tend to uh, I don't know. I used to laugh them off, and I don't necessarily laugh them off anymore. But again, not my hill to die on. I, yeah. I think loon is kind of a cool word, but I'll, I'll go great northern diver on that one. <laughs> Fair so, enough. Right. Point, point for our friends in, the, in, the, in Europe. Yep. All right, let's, uh, let's hit the random number generator again. Cool. Uh, we're going way down, 239. Okay. okay, so we're probably at least to the woodpeckers by now. At least not, to the wood, oh, yeah. No, we're, we're, we're well into the perching birds now. Yeah, yeah I would have thought yep. so. But, early but, perching or, birds. But, but, but early in, so yeah, I yeah, like so, or swallows uh, or something. Uh, actually, vireos. Oh, vireos. It is yep. red-eyed. Oh, cool. Vireo, the greenest green bird, Vireo olivaceus. Yeah, um, well, I love red-eyed Vireos. Mm, <laughs> um, I, I think uh, they come across as more of a North Carolina bird than a, a Colorado bird. They are very <laughs> common, very easy to, I, well, let me, I'll correct myself. They're not easy to see all the time. <laughs> They're definitely easy to encounter. Yeah, yeah so the red-eyed Vireo is... Um, I wish we could just do a program on the redhead vireo, but it, it, <laughs> who it, knows it, how long it, will you take? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a really fun bird for me because it's sort of like what I think of as a low grade rarity for us in, in Colorado. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, if you go birding, you know, for several days in June in good habitat, you actually will find a few of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're just not rare birds, but they're decidedly uncommon. And, uh, you know, finding a redhead vireo is sort of, you know, you, you definitely would, you know, text it to a friend if they were within, you know, walking distance of the bird or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, but they're, they're here every summer. They um, they probably breed in very low numbers, although um, proving that they breed has been challenging. Um, mm-hmm. I, we probably are getting a lot of, you know, just sort of uh, overshoot, maybe younger birds singing their heads off. So they're, they're, they can be quite vocal, just mm-hmm. like you alluded to, hard to see, very easy 
to yeah. hear. Um, but yeah, no, I um, I, I I just always get a kick out of hearing the red-eyed vireo. I think it's partly, as I said, because it's sort of this low-grade rarity. It's also I'm just tapping into something from from a former life when red-eyed vireos. <laughs> you know, I, so I grew up back east, as you know. But, yeah. but you know, red-eyed vireos were just this constant, you know, fixture of like yep. basically early May through. I mean, they sing right, you know. Right through the summer, you know, they sing in the hottest part of the summer in the afternoons. Yeah. When there's nothing else, nothing else making noise. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're fantastic. Um, they, I hear them, I can step outside uh, at any point in the summer and I can hear them in the woods behind my house. And, um, it's always nice to, always nice to, to hear them and know that they're there. Um, I really like them in fall, uh, because they tend to come down a little bit lower. And you can find them mm. in kind of willow stands and kind of scrubby habitats where you wouldn't necessarily see them in the summer when they tend to be, you know, 60, 70 feet up in the, the tops of the deciduous trees. Yeah. Um, and it's always nice to see them. I, I always enjoy seeing them. It's always like they're on every checklist, every, che- every eBird checklist I make mm-hmm. in the state from, you know, late April uh, into late October. But it's um, whenever I get to see them, uh, it's, I'm always kind of impressed and, and kind of happy. And satisfying. Yeah, and um, so for me in Colorado, the by far the sort of default vireo in the summer is uh, is warbling, um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yeah, it's a, it's a cool bird. But what always strikes me when I finally do see a red-eyed it's vireo two thirty eight, by the way. Oh, Oh, is, 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 oh, is, is how it's big right, it is right, right next to it. No, it's right um, next. To, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. Um, the the warbling vireo, which is you know yeah. again by, mm-hmm. by the bird, I the warb. It's like our expected vireo in the summer. Yeah, it's, it, it's like a. It's a little bird compared to the big old red eye. Yeah, red, red eye is a large and, and, bird. It's got a yeah. big bill and just it's really well marked on on the face. And mm-hmm. um, although that red eye, you know, can be hard to see in the foliage, it often sometimes though does sort of just glower at you like a yeah. <laughs> I don't know angry garnet or something like that. So it, it's a, it's a pretty bird. Um, again, I mean, I realize it's often just a if you're even if you're lucky, just a blur in the foliage. But mm-hmm. um, red eyed vireo, you know, if you get close enough to it and see it in good light, is a handsome bird. Yeah, it's got a great face. It's got a really nice gray cap. Um, the big bill. It's it's good stuff. And so, some of my favorite red-eyed vireo experiences have been when I've seen them on their wintering grounds uh, in the tropics because they're they're a fairly common bird mm, in places sure. like uh, Panama and and Colombia. Um, and and it's always nice to see them. I, any I, I talk a lot about this because I, I was just in Costa Rica not long ago sure. and I talked about it on the podcast and we saw a lot of wintering birds. No no red-eyed vireos interestingly sure. enough, but a lot of other ones. But it's it's seeing those birds that I'm so familiar with here in the summer and my everyday kind of day-to-day bird awareness uh, in places where I'm, you know, specifically going out to to bird hard, you know, yeah. um, it is always very satisfying. Yeah. And in the tropics, um, just sort of a, a fun added challenge is all the birds that are sort of yeah, in the red-eyed vireo yeah. complex. So yeah, there's yeah. the chibi vireo, but, mm-hmm. th- but then you also have things like, you know, yellow, green, uh, black whiskered in the West Indies and yep. also Florida for that matter. Um, you could hand vireo, you know, if you're, you could, and that, yeah, you know, that brown, just adds. Brown capped is sort of similar, if I recall. Yeah, brown ca- and it's yeah, brown caps has a little sort of warbling going mm-hmm. with it as well. But yeah, yeah, part of that, part of that group. Um, hey, just real quickly on this, a, a personal note and a very nerdy note, but it's also an ABA. Go for it. That is that is exactly <laughs> what this podcast an, is for. An ABA related <laughs> note. Yeah. So, um, I uh, made a little personal discovery regarding the red-eyed vireo a little while ago, and mm-hmm. um, it has to do with the um the great bohemian composer Antonin Dvorak, who wrote this okay. incredible string quartet called the American Quartet when he, he when he came to Iowa. And this is going to sound incredible, but he he quotes extensively what he calls a scarlet tanager in the third movement. And I actually was able to prove that it was a red-eyed vireo because this is so wild. His, um, his secretary 
wrote up these really good transcriptions of the bird's song. Oh, really? And and they like totally match Red Eyed Vireo. Where are you? Yeah, there's some technical stuff in here, but I, I'm sure what was happening was that um, there was a tanager up in the tree. I mean, there were mm-hmm. spectacularly bright red birds, and they're up in trees with Red Eyed Vireos, and you know, he heard one bird, saw the other, and uh, for yeah. like decades, we always thought that 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 string quartet famously quoted the uh, the scarlet tanager but it actually quotes the red-eyed vireo and mm. um, that's on the aba blog for back I, no no i take it back that's um that's in my how to know the birds column oh um, there you go so if you have a red-eyed vireo um if you want to who knew dvorak was a stringer i know well, he, he probably he, had he, both. He, two birds there aha yeah. <laughs> there you go right okie dokie uh, all right, all right. Uh, let's hit the let's hit the number generator let's again. Let's do it. Uh, three five nine. We keep going down. Yeah, so we're but we're close. So what was the other one? Three twenty three or something? Yeah, so, we're uh, we're going way down towards the end. Okay, so I don't. What, what are you? Thrushes or something? Or um, not you, quite. We're we're in the warblers. This is oh, a, we're way at the end. Oh, okay, yeah, sorry, we're way there. This is a bay breasted warbler. Yeah, so bay breasted is going to be more of a uh, North Carolina bird yeah. than a than a, uh, a Colorado sure. bird. Um, it's a rare bird. I mean, as, as Eastern warblers go, it's one of our like good ones. You know, I, I joked a mm-hmm. moment ago about you know texting a friend if they were within uh, you know walking distance of a red-eyed vireo with a with a bay breasted warbler, you'd put that on the statewide rare bird mm-hmm. alert, and people like doing big ears or something would actually go to see that bird. Um, my most recent experience with bay-breasted warbler, like one of two, I think, in Colorado, was mm-hmm. with a bird, oddly enough, um, late in the fall. Every once in a while, we get these um, uh, like feeding frenzies on often conifers that are infested with uh, aphids and other uh, small arthropods, and they attract just a crazy diversity of late-season warblers. And I, I'm going to – my friends in Boulder are going to torment me for not totally remembering this, but we had like a tree – in Boulder that had like had pine, bay breasted, you know, something like along the lines of, you know, it was a good, another good bird, like, you know, mm-hmm. yellow throated or something. And then also, you know, low grade rarities for that time of year, like orange crumb, but hey, there's a bay breasted warbler <laughs> right in there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a drab, you know, sort of first fall female sort of bird. Um, but no, we do not get the, uh, that wonderful spring migration, ph- you know, phenomenon of the, the warblers. That yeah, we, we don't, where I live, we don't actually get the spring phenomenon of yeah, bay-breasted warbler. They're yeah. a little bit to the west of us. Right, they they Appal- stay the to the west yeah. of the Appalachians and right. sort of go up the yeah. Mississippi River. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's a, they do kind of that, you know, oblong kind of oval-shaped migration right. and they mm-hmm. come down in the fall to the east of where they go up in the spring. And uh, there's a, you know, period of time and late September where they can be one of the most common birds you can find in the, in the mountains and the Appalachians and, um, a lot of bay breasted warblers. And, and for that reason, um, I actually did not see a spring male bay breasted warbler until surprisingly late in my birding career. Mm-hmm. And it was at, uh, McGee Marsh. It was oh, yeah. in uh, the biggest week. One of the first, first years I went there, I'd seen so many, so many fall bay breasted warblers over the years. Right. But, right. Um, finally seeing that, that beautiful male with the, you know, the, the, the chestnut all over right, and the, the yeah. cool kind of toffee colored ear patch right, and um, right. all, all green back. Um, really, really cool, cool looking bird. Um, I felt like I got to appreciate it a little bit more than I would have had I seen it very early on in my, uh, that's my an inter- yeah, interesting point. career. Yeah. 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 Two responses. The first, I appreciate your pointing out that, um, yeah, that, that, the, the Bay Breasted has that more sort of Mississippi Valley-ish. Yeah, you know, yeah. even where I grew up in yeah. Missouri, um, 
their spring migration was more to the east of us and yeah. now in the North Carolina right. it's more and, to the and, west and, of us. Just back to the vireos for a moment. Don't I, don't I recall correctly that warbling vireo is like shockingly uncommon in the southeast? Very yeah. local. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And I think, you know, for people who just sort of think of it, well, you know, this common widespread continental, you know, breeder, they yeah. forget because I guess most of them go up the, what we call, we call them a circumgulf migrants, you know, yeah. so they go up, come up the, uh, the Texas coast and don't really Exactly. And they, they go east, uh, but usually not till they're north of us. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. So so for me, though, bay-breasted um, is sort of a childhood bird. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I imagine, yeah, in yeah, Pennsylvania, so was, probably I, I, a lot yeah, of them. <laughs> in Western Pennsylvania, so I was yeah. just west of the mountains in, in Pittsburgh, and that was a pretty characteristic bird for us. You know, sort of especially by around mid-May. I, um, a couple of springs ago, it was right before the pandemic. It was the spring of 2019 in May. I remember being in a, a big cemetery in, in the mm-hmm. city in a pouring down rain, just driving rain, and um, but you could hear three birds, and they were. Um, You'll get this, but I, but it's kind of a cool combo. Actually, I almost put you in the spot and asked you what they were, but I'll, I'll tell you. So they, <laughs> one of them is bay breasted warbler. <laughs> yeah, one is bay breasted. Well, okay, let's, I'll, okay, I'll do I'll do another uh, Tennessee, okay. and it was already number three was, and it's like these three birds have something in common. So oh no, you can put me on the spot. Um, I don't know. Is it another warbler? Ted? It's definitely another warbler. Is it yeah. Nashville warbler? No, it's no. it's Cape May. Yes. Yeah, so, so those. <gasps> okay, so they all have that similar, very similar sounding song. And they're the spruce budworm specialists. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So, so those three, um, which had become like really scarce, even Tennessee, mm-hmm. um, in Pittsburgh, well, in Pennsylvania, before I, I left long ago, I guess have had a resurgence. Um, at least. Yeah, I imagine so. Uh, yeah. Along with the other spruce so, budworms. So, so yeah. cool to hear those. Uh, those birds. I don't hear the uh, the bay breasts quite as well as I used to, but but their songs are so loud um, <laughs> yeah. that it was. You, I mean, they, they they can be that you can hear them right over the range. Is that sort of that high pitched sort of? Yeah, the trail. the black pole bay breasted and um, what's the third one? The Tennessee, not oh, Tennessee, K- K- Kate um, Mays Kate right May. High. That's yeah, the yeah. one. Yeah, they're very yeah. high. All very similar. And sometimes right. I have trouble with them because yeah. I, I I don't hear them all that often. They're all three kind of. Uh, yeah, uncommon. Well, Blackpool comes through in decent yeah, numbers, but right. um, Bay Breasted and, and Cape May are, they're, they're good spring birds. I, I usually get fewer than five of them in a spring. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And I, 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 they throw me, the sound, the song throws me every single time. I yep. like, I can't, it doesn't stick. Yeah. And especially for me, Bay Breasted and um, Cape May. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're just they're sort of these indeterminate sort of high lispy yeah. Yeah, trilly exactly. whistled notes yeah so. yeah yeah it's not not for me thank you i'll use merlin for that thank you <laughs> there you go right all right <laughs> all right should we should we go to another one yeah let's do another one let's do another one uh, oh six. Oh, six. all right so we're right at the beginning Way here. Up I, at the top. I, yeah this yeah. is gonna be a, a goose i would guess it is a goose uh, yeah all right so. it's uh it's brant brant oh. goose not a bird I've seen in a long time. So the brant falls into the same category, I think, as um, the black. Uh, sorry, the, the uh, bay-breasted warbler. I yeah, mean, I you guys expect get a number of those in, in winter. Um, Fewer than we used to. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but in Colorado, we are challenged with the question of which brant. So all of yours mm-hmm. are the you know the Atlantic yeah, brant, the, the gray-bellied um, ones. Yeah, gray, yeah. gray-bellied. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait a minute. I think no. Is it the gray-bellied? I'm pretty sure it's the gray-bellied. We all, the, people get excited about black brant. But there's th- so now the deal is there's three brands. I thought I, I, I'm going to go. You're going to make me pull out my field guide here. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with it. You guys get Atlantic. Yeah. We get Atlantic and we mostly black. And isn't the, the, the I thought the gray bellied was the one that like winters around Seattle or something. I may have oh, my name. Maybe. Okay. All right. Well, while Nate checks that out, I, I will <laughs> I will just point out that um, brands are, are awesome birds. And uh, I think I've lost Nate to the uh, the field guide here, but I will yeah, comment. Yeah, yeah that, that's cool. So, but um, I love pale brands. Bellied, I, pale bellied. They call it pale bellied, not gray bellied. 
Right. You, you're, you're a bird. Yes. Pale belly. Right. Right. Yeah. So I, I like that. So pale belly for the Eastern birds, yeah. black for the Pacific coast birds, you know, mm-hmm. breeding farther north and then gray bellied for the ones. I feel like there's that, a lot of opportunity for confusion between pale and gray. Well, yeah. Okay. So, and gray bellied. So bad names. folks. Uh, well, not only is a bad name. Names. It's actually, and I'm going in, into the uh, nerdy weeds here. So it's actually not a name. So the gray bellied brand as yeah. at least unless this has changed in a few years is not named to science. Um, mm. there's like, it, there's no sort subspecies that corresponds to it. And again, if, if you can imagine any of a number of people might call in and say that, Oh, well, didn't you read the 2018 That's paper? That's why we don't allow giving, Collins. Yeah. G- yeah, giving it a, <laughs> a name or something like that. But yeah. So the, um, the, whatever, the Atlantic pale bellied, white bellied yeah. brant and the black brant of the Pacific are well differentiated. I mean, they're, they really yeah, are they pale look and different. dark. Yep, yep. Um, and most of our brants in Colorado, and when I say most, you know, we get a few a winter, you know, typically like one in a flock of many, many cackling geese or something like that. They're usually um, the black brants. And then um, <laughs> I also want to like text Rick right and make sure I think the detail right. But if I'm not mistaken, and I probably am mistaken, but there's something strange about the description, the scientific description of the brand. Like, I think it was like a black brand taken in New Jersey. Oh, and, I have um, no idea. That, that, yeah, I, yeah, I'm not going to ask you to go yeah. to the AO, AOSA yeah, 1957 <laughs> checklist to see what that is. But, uh, but yeah, there, there's something odd about the, like the type specimen for the hmm. brand. And I, again, I, I could have this, like, I want to say it was like in Great Egg Harbor, New Jersey in 18. 18- 21 or yeah, something. Who, uh, who knows? Back then they were shooting everything. They so were shooting knew, everything, yeah. but, but, but I think they got like a really good one. Yeah. So, but, um, anyhow, but, but on an East Coast brand note, um, I love brands. I love the way they sound that sort of rolling ground mm-hmm. song and, um, song, sorry, call, but, um, yeah, to me, there's just something about brants in winter. It, so we, um, where I winter sometimes is with my in-laws on Long Island. And uh, whether you're on the coast or um, um, on Long Island Sound, uh, you know, the Atlantic coast, um, or especially like ball fields. Um, hmm. This is going to sound like a weird thing to say, but I, I swear the world's best place, like the best place on earth to see brants is on the... Um, it's like the uh, the BQE and the uh, the Cross Island um, going up to the Cross Island Express, like in Southern Bronx and Queens, they're everywhere. Huh. Like if you're if you're stuck in traffic, you know, do the really bad New York City traffic, like just um West like outside that past like east of uh, Staten Island and get, getting into like Brooklyn, like there's so many brands like right along <laughs> the highway. When you come down off the Verrazano Bridge, like the brands just like walking around, you know, the little it's not like a service plaza, but it's like the emergency pull off area like that. So it's, it's it's encouraging. You know, brands we almost like lost them in the 20th century. They became yeah. incredibly scarce, but they recovered nicely, and they're like really parking lot ball field birds in new york city now that's wild to think about they actually get kind of scarce the further south you go and um they used to be associated there used to be good numbers of brand like into the low triple digits um in pemlico sound near hatteras island and okokoke island and and for years in in north carolina the the way to see brant was to take the ferry that runs between okokoke island and hatteras and uh just just bird watch the ferry it's about a 30 minute ferry ride well was back then now with the dredge the whole hatteras inlet is a whole big thing but um it goes way out now, but there they were there with the eelgrass, and apparently yeah. the eelgrass is kind of scarce now. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the reason for that. It might have to do with uh, water temperature and sea level rise and things like that, which is hitting the Outer Banks pretty hard. But um, they're they're pretty scarce these days. You could go a year in North Carolina and not see a brant. Um, but that Hatterst Ocracoke Ferry was the the place where I got my lifer brant. Actually, not a bird that I would have encountered in, in Missouri where I grew up. Um, when, like when I first started birding North Carolina pretty heavily, um, 
Yeah, saw a pair of them. Still the only two brand I've cool. seen in the state. Oh well, oh, well yeah, I just yeah. I, this is like I love these learning experiences yeah. here. Like I, if you had just sort of, well, you already have put me on the spot, but like yeah, you were talking right. about the status of, of Branton, North Carolina in winter, yeah. I would not have guessed it was so rare. Uh, with the West Coast branch, so again, the, the, the black branch, um, mm-hmm. we believe that most of them winter south of the United States. Like, so, so Baja, oh, really? Down in the yeah, Baja, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, I mean, I know they, you definitely can see them in, you know, throughout the, the winter months mm-hmm. in California and elsewhere, but um, but it seems like probably most of them are actually south of, of San Diego, which is mm. kind of oh, wow. a, a cool factoid. What, what, just one other fun factoid here. Uh, so, um, the name of the brant is a Branta bernicla, mm-hmm. and bernicla means Barnica bar- barnacle. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I've been keeping this list over the years of birds. Like, never mind. Like they have like dumb scientific names. They have, like, yeah. totally the wrong scientific. Yeah, name. there's there's a handful and, of them. Yeah, yeah they're, 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 and some of them are like are striking. But yeah, Branta bernicla literally means the barnacle goose, yeah. which is of course the name of another goose. Yeah, goes to the, goes <laughs> it looks to the rather brant. similar. Yeah, <laughs> sure, I, I know. But yeah, just one of the and they're. they're uh, like lesser frigate bird, lesser nighthawk, uh, right? Uh, cinnamon yeah. teal. There, there's actually a, a bunch of them. They, uh, the the fam- like black headed gull and laughing gull. Black headed gull, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Oh, geez, I had one uh, on my head. There's there's a couple parrots, like Alexandrine parrot. Uh, the in like South India or in, in India is named after Alexander the Great, but there's actually a another parrot that's like Cidicula. I forget the genus yeah, Alexandria. Yeah. And so there's like Alexandrine parrot is not. With the species name Alexandria. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. as you say, there's a bunch of them. There's They're pretty wild. A lot wild. of mix-ups there. Yeah, yeah a lot of for mix-ups. sure. A lot of mix-ups. Names are a funny thing. Um, they are indeed. Yeah, I guess the brands are still doing well. I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm heartened to hear that they're doing well up in the New York city area and, you know, around Maryland and Delaware and even, you know, the Ch- uh, Eastern shore of Virginia, you can still see them with some numbers. Yeah. Um, they're just scarce in North Carolina. And yeah. North globally Carolina they're, I guess they're doing better than they were in the 20th mm-hmm. century. Um, they're still not in great shape and, and the black brands, the Western ones are also um, declining. Mm. Yeah. All right. Let's do uh we're at 31. We can do uh one or two oh, sure. more. Let me, oops, I, I lost my random number generator. There it is. All right, pulling up the random number generator again. One, zero, two, one, oh, two. Okay, so a well, shorebird. Or- you know what? It is a shorebird. And, yeah. um, you know, this year, this, uh, this session, I should say, has been interesting in that we have had two whole Arctic species, birds that are found um, across the entirety of the Northern Hemisphere, Brant and Common Loon. And here's another one, actually, is one of the most wide-ranging Bird species in the world. Let me guess, black blade plover. No, close. Oh, <laughs> sanderling. Oh, sanderling. Yeah. Oh. So uh, you couldn't have timed this 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 better, Nate. I'm actually the random the number fi- generator well, knows. I'm, I'm putting knows. the finishing touches on uh, my next um, how to know the birds on an experience with sanderlings mm-hmm. in, in New York City just a, a few days ago. So, well, I think it's a week or more ago now. Um, so I I love sanderlings. It's actually yeah. my, like it's one of my favorite birds on earth. And um, but I'm very sort of a Goldilocksy with with sanderlings. Like the experience has to be just right, and um, so we get them every year in Colorado. I mean, they're they're, okay. they're annual, but but okay. um, and you know, I'm a total you know Colorado supremacist, but 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 like they're not the right kind of sanderling in Colorado. No, they're, 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 no, they're, they're they're just they're dumpy. They're just hanging out the beach. They they don't do anything. <laughs> oh, like mudflat sanderlings, yeah, sitting on a rock. I mean, they're rockerlings, yeah, terrible. Yeah, they're, 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 and, and they're not. They just. They're kind of unhappy and sad, and they they, they, they need to be like on, on ocean beaches. Absolutely, and, yeah, and and like you need to have a flock of them, and they need to be like running after their waves, and and uh, yeah, just I'll, I'll try to depict this in words, but you know, for those of you who have not seen sandlings on the ocean beaches, they are 
absolutely mesmerizing. To, to, to me, they're um, it's, it's like with dippers in Colorado. Like I could watch a dipper forever because they just are always doing things. And mm-hmm. sander lengths on, on ocean beaches are just always chasing always the waves, moving. and yeah. and they um they often form these these uh these flocks, and they'll they'll run after the retreating waves like ridiculously fast pick up food then the wave comes back and they all run right back um, watching their little legs move while their body like just kind of glides across the sand and the legs are like furiously furiously paddling and anything it's it's neat it's i just i I can't get enough out of uh dunlins we actually sorry i love sanderlings but but, yeah yeah. um my daughter and i got to see a a small flock of sanderlings in new york city actually at uh, breezy point uh, in in queens right on the the ocean beach there but uh, time was limited and then um we decided we needed more of a fix of sanderling. So the next day we went out to Jones Beach and I, I'm not kidding. We actually spent three hours with a flock of sanderlings. They're that mesmerizing. And there mm-hmm. were Dunlins in the flock. That's why I blurted out Dunlin there <laughs> um, a moment ago. And um, there's just so much, I'm sorry, there's just so much to say about sanderlings. But the thing about the sanderlings and Dunlins that was so cool, it was, it was a really cold and windy day. And um, there were well over a hundred birds, you know, of the two species combined mm-hmm. in this little flock. And they were always up on just one leg and, and that's like yeah. normal that's they, they're, they're conserving heat that way but um they didn't really want to fly much at all we were you know sort of crouched down you know in the in the sand so we weren't scaring them off and we were able to get quite close to them and the only thing that actually ever moved them was the waves it wasn't us mm-hmm. but they didn't run they hopped like a hundred birds is all hopping <laughs> along on, on one leg and, you know there's a part of me i want to say hey guys you know you could actually use both legs but, but there's, there's no need for that so yeah, yeah i just um i know if i had to come up with a list of like i don't know I, 10 favorite birds in the world i, I don't know i'm not sure sanderling would make the cut but it'd be awfully close i yeah. just love sanderling so much I, I think sanderlings are one of those birds when we talk about birds that really are um you know affect non-birders um, in a very, you know, positive way. I, they're definitely one of those birds. Cause you know, people, you, you go to a beach this may not be an experience for you in Colorado, but my family and I go, we like we'll rent a beach house, uh, or go to a beach house, Airbnb or whatever for you know, a week, couple weekends, uh, during the year, just to, just to go and enjoy the beach. And like, there is inevitably some sort of handmade sanderling artwork in the in the uh in the in the house that is like like beach life and it's got like a sanderling there yeah it's because you go out on the beach and there's there's always sanderlings it doesn't matter what time of year you are at in 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 the east coast there are sanderlings there in the summer they're not necessarily breeding birds they're kind of like first year birds that linger throughout the year and in the winter you come down you get decent sized flocks of sanderlings they're always there everyone knows sanderlings they may not know them as sanderlings but they know sanderlings and i think that's yeah. pretty cool yeah hey i, I was talking about the uh, the perfect sanderling experience so it has mm-hmm. to be in new york uh, it has to be in the winter it has to involve a flock it has to involve the surf uh, the other thing is like again this is just me you know in my utopia they have to be in like full-on winter plumage oh the gray yeah the the, the basic plumage and you know in in general with shorebirds and most birds i think a lot of us are attracted to the alternate plumages Mm -hmm. the the summer or the bright plumages Uh, and and, you know the the sanderling is a pretty impressive bird nice it's reddish yeah Yeah, but uh, you know to to me it's just that that ghostly just Mm -hmm. just pale i I go back ghostly like it belongs like it it looks exactly like it looks exactly like the beach it's the same color yeah at least down here yeah yeah but no totally yeah, yeah, Sanderling. Um, do you do you know the etymology of that name? I I know it's almost certainly associated with the beach and beach sand, but Sanderling is such a so, such a funny name. So is this a trivia question? Like no, I'm, I'm asking honestly. Oh no, um, 
Uh, you know what? I could get um, you could look could it pull up, up yeah. Susan Meyer's new book. Yeah. So, so, so my guess is it sounds it, it seems sort of diminutive to me. Like, yeah, you know, like a, a, the little sand bird or something mm-hmm. along those lines. Um, I know yeah. th- there's actually a surname Sanderling. Um, I mean, that you, oh really? I, like someone's yeah. last name? Yeah, there's there's a famous musician <laughs> Kurt Sanderling. I just I, I, <laughs> what a great name. Yeah, yeah I know what a, what an awesome <laughs> name to, to be named Sanderling. I mean, yeah. you know, be, like being named like. I don't know, long build curl or something. Yeah, that's a stretch. Like that. yeah. But, but, yeah, I know. But um, no, so um, I, now that you mentioned it, I've never actually looked it up. I can't authoritatively say I know what the name is, but I, I assume it's, it's, it seems diminutive and it's got the word sand. By the way, wouldn't it be cool if I were so utterly and completely wrong and had nothing to do with the sand or, or anything? But I have the, I have Susan's bird name book here on a, as a PDF. Whoa. The name derives from old English sand. Plowman. That's cool. Sand plowman. Yeah. People were plowing the sand. Well, I'm just reading the name derives from old English sand yearling, sand plowman. There it is. Sanderling. Small member of Scolopacity. Um, two possible etymologies are advanced. Oh. One is that it's from the word sand and the suffix ling, signifying the diminutive, as you suggested, Ted. And the other words associated with sand, the other is that it derives from old English sand yearling, sand plowman. Right. Was plowman literally means earthling. So the ling, yeah, it's so it serves the same. So it plows the sand. And I guess it does kind of I when it's chasing it the waves. It kind of probes the sand when it gets down there and runs back. Yeah, sanderling. What a bird. What a bird. All right. We got time for one more? Okay, sure. Let's do one more. One more. 337. All right. So back been, toward the end. Yeah. All right. 337. Sparrow. Oh, it's another warbler. Another warbler. Okay. It is worm-eating warbler. Oh, so got that North Carolina bias here. Again. I know. What so, is the deal with that? Uh, I've seen a few worm-eating warblers in, in in Colorado. It's you know it's a it's about as rare as bay-breasted. Maybe bay-breasted's a tiny mm, okay. bit rarer for us, but you know we get a, a few. Um, and if you were doing a big year, you'd want to go chase somebody chase else's worm-eating worm warbler or find one on your own. But but um, yeah, so. Uh, cool bird mm-hmm. um you know i think there's this um inclination for us to you know assume it's you know related to the uh, swainson's warbler or even like the water thrushes or the oven bird and some of those relations like are yeah. they're, they're quite complicated i'm trying to remember like is it i'm kind of wary of this here but you know the, the relate so it's, it's toward the beginning of the, the warbler yeah yeah it's of one of the first warblers yeah it's not one of those big genera like um yeah, well, I still want to say dendroica cetophaga or something yeah. like that. But yeah, it's 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 in that uh, that sort of group of sort of uh, single species. You know, maybe, uh, sorry, uh, what's a monotypic uh, genera? Yeah, I think I think I think it's the only bird in um, its genus. Um, it's Helminthros, and uh, mm-hmm. th- th- there's another uh, basically just erroneous scientific name. The I think it's Helminthros, not Helminthros. So huh. the word, the, the word, yeah, the word for worm is Helminth, not Helmuth. And again, yeah. I, I'm just as you guys can probably tell, I, I don't have a book in front of me or anything like that, but I'm pretty sure right. that it's, it's it's a misspelled generic uh, epithet. Um, huh. yeah, but yeah. it's it's a cool bird. It's um, you know, it's not done justice to in both photographs and especially I think drawings. It's often just sort of drawn depicted as this sort of brown bird with a mm-hmm. spiky bill, and uh, sometimes they're really quite brightly caramel it is colored. it's a very rich tan yeah. um yeah. that i always enjoy when i see one yeah, yeah i agree uh, that they're not not well depicted in field yeah. guides typically. another cool thing about um the worm eating warblers it's behavior so it does mm-hmm. something that we associate especially with the tropical birds it's a 
basically a dead leaf specialist. Yeah. So um, it probes um, mostly for spiders um, on the like undersides of dead leaves and dead leaf clusters. We, we have some other birds that do that, but I really associate the worm-eating warbler with that behavior. So not only is Helmetheros misspelled, it's not really a worm-eating warbler either. It certainly <laughs> doesn't eat earthworms spiders. and spiders, spiders right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's more of like an, an arachnid uh, eating yeah. um, warbler. But um, yeah. yeah, it's a, a really quite colorful, um, I think it's like underappreciated. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's often an uncommon bird in, mm-hmm. in a lot of its range. So people do, out, do out, go out looking for it. And, mm-hmm. But I think there's more to it than a rare or uncommon bird. It's a really yeah. beautiful bird. I, I actually well. think it's more common than people sometimes give it credit for yeah. because it's so under noticed, both yeah. in terms of its relatively drab plumage, which isn't super drab as you know as you pointed out yeah. and also it's it's song is really easy to miss like it really kind of blends into the background spring chorus summer chorus especially in the southeast here um but i've i found out i found that when i kind of focus on it and try and listening for it as i do for for as some stops on the breeding bird surveys that i do um i can find decent numbers of them they're not they're not quite as uncommon as all as all that but like they're very easy to overlook or overhear or actually that's that's funny overlook means different than overhear yeah yeah <laughs> anyway you know uh, what i mean it's um yeah no i i i, I concur with 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 all of the, the the preceding it's um i mean i've never heard you know concern you know that it's a sharply declining species right. or anything like that right. but it's certainly a, a sort of difficult to detect species um i sorry back to just a, a thought i had a, a, at the beginning i didn't really get to formulate it but I, it, I, maybe i'm wrong about this because i'm not much of a southeaster i've often associated with swainson's warbler but but like they're not related. in some places no, no i meant like um I've, oh I've, you I've, mean I've, like taxonomically or oh okay yeah and i think if i have this right like um i'm gonna get a detail wrong here but i think like like i think worm eating like forms like it's in a clade with like black and white and Prothonotary or something like who the fuck? I think Swainson's are... down with Prothonotary. Oh, wait, oh, wait, wait, wait that, that's right. I, you, yeah. you got it. I'm sorry. Swainson's Prothon. That's it. That's exactly right. Yeah. Swainson's Prothonotary, like black and white. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Or like in I this think group. That's right. Yeah. And then like um the bird that superficially looks like the worm eating, which is the Swainson's, like is not related to that. Yeah, I, mean, no, I just really. that to me that's yeah. really like cool. So yeah. Well, yeah. warblers are weird. Um, warblers are weird. <laughs> worm eating perhaps more than most. Yeah. Um. But as I said, we I find them somewhat regularly around here um they they really like these sort of very specific sort of habitats uh at least in the piedmont of north carolina where i live where they sort of if you can find kind of like a rocky not really a cliff but like a like a like a a hill that is very not what's the difference between a cliff and like a hill it's like not something you would climb but it tends to be kind of rocky and overhanging and stuff that's sort of where they where they'll be i don't don't have a word for that but i'm picturing it yeah yeah there's probably a word for it that is escaping me at this point but that's usually where i I associate them uh with you know they're a low low in the in the vegetation sort of warbler they don't tend to get up too high but um yeah whenever i see that sort of habitat it's kind of a rocky hillside Mm -hmm. um that that's sort of what I'm looking for when I'm there. Yeah, I lived in a state college, Pennsylvania, right in the middle of the state for a few mm-hmm. years. And um, yeah, if you just got into habitat that sort of resembles what you're describing, mm-hmm. we, we could hear a lot of them. The um, the tricky thing with the worm eating warbler song is it's um, notorious similarity with that of the chipping sparrow. Yes, absolutely. In fact, did, um, did you know there's? You probably do know this since you're from back in that part of the world. But there's actually an eBird slash combo, which is chipping sparrow slash worm eating yeah, warbler. Got that on my uh, yeah. So and I, I mean, I actually. I know that on the one hand, like, well, they're 
completely different families. On the other hand, yeah, they actually can sound really similar. For me, the the big problem is Chipping Sparrow and Dark Eyed Junko. That's the, they, yeah. they breed side by side. There's in, in a Colorado few places and, where that's a problem. It, Whenever it, I go into the high country in Western North Carolina, where there are breeding junkos, it yep, throws right. me every single time. Yep. Every single but, yeah, time. No, so, yeah. So, but there, there, there's actually a category on eBird uh, for yeah. Chipping Sparrow slash Wormy Worm, presumably referring to herd only. Birds. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, I, so. I tend to associate them with different habitats, and so when yeah. I'm in a, mm-hmm. the the right habitat for Worming Warbler, I tend to lean a bit towards. Yeah. Meeting warbler, and if I'm in like I don't know, like a neighborhood or a shrubby area, then it's you're not going to see a warbling warbler there. Yeah, it's funny. I wonder how many checklists I've had that have had both chipping sparrow and warbling warbler. Probably not all that many. Yeah, as I recall, um, again going back to my. Old East Coast days, but the um, the problem was birds sort of late in spring migration. Mm, the mm-hmm. warm meetings would be singing, yeah. um, but not necessarily in habitat. And then the chipping sparrows yeah. would be sort of almost anywhere. So I, I, yep. I recall days in oh, Frick Park and you know, in, in, right in Pittsburgh in the, in the middle of May, where you know there was a known chipping. Sorry, there was a known worm eating warbler, mm-hmm. but by God, there were chipping sparrows singing nearby too. Oh, sometimes geez, we, yeah. yeah, we really did have to sort of just you know get a visual on it to, to be sure. Yeah, yeah. pull up Merlin. Well, this was pre-Merlin, but yes, okay. Now, <laughs> now, now it's easy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, we've we've been at it for just over forty-five minutes. We'll probably so, yeah. call it a day on this yeah. one. We've still got three hundred and some odd uh, birds to choose from. Next time we come around, hopefully, it won't be six months before we do it again. Ted, always a pleasure to remember some birds with you. Yeah, if people are interested, you can find Ted as editor of Birding Magazine. He's also on the uh, internet's in various places. I'll put a link to those as well. Yeah, always a pleasure, Ted. Thanks for having me. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. If you enjoyed this podcast, the best way to support it is to join the ABA. You get a lot of great mid events, including our magazines, discounts to partners like Princeton University Press, Cornell Lab of Ornithology, and more. You can find out how to do that at aba.org slash join. Shoutouts this week to Barbara Bailey of Oakland, Maryland, Marie Doyle of Baltimore, Maryland, Jeff Gagnon and family of Hudson, New York, Jared Hitchings and family of Williamsville, Illinois, Marissa Mazeski of Long Valley, New Jersey, Liza Morris of South Burlington, Vermont, Joseph Ridley and family of Nashua, New Hampshire, Carrie Schaffer of Leland, North Carolina, and Brian Zillich and family of Ware, Massachusetts all of whom recently joined the ABA and noted this podcast as their reason for doing so. Jared Hitchings even pointed out that the 2023 Bird of the Year selection helped prompt him. It was belted Kingfisher. Great spark bird. Thank you so much. Welcome to the ABA. Executive director of the ABA and executive producer of the podcast is Nikki Belmonte, who sees Dvorak out here writing pieces of music inspired by birds, but notes that even he can't compete with master composers who have birds named after them, like Canvasbach. Techno production is by John Lowry, who raises one Ina Kleina Ock music by Mertzart. Additional help with social media comes from George Munoz, who wonders why we don't name any rails after composers, because they're always hiding. You can find us online at ABA.org, on social media, most everywhere is American Birding Association on Twitter. We are at ABA. I've never been birding in Eastern Europe, but I have heard from folks that have that Hungary is a fantastic place to rack up a big list. Questions, comments, can come to podcast at aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thank you for listening and tolerating this. Stay healthy. See you next week.